are we oh are we golly i cannot talk today are we that's hard for me the r's r's are sometimes hard for me are we ready all right can you talk <laughs> if you could talk we're ready <laughs> okay. all right i'll do my best you're listening to don't read the synopsis a bookish podcast where we read and talk about all things books except the synopses i'm zach i'm devin and we're bookish besties, mood readers with cursed buddy reads, and a love of romance. Hi, Devin. How are you? Good. Yeah, something happened in the middle of the night where I did not realize my heat was still on, like, or was still, you know, registered. And I woke up and I realized that the heat had come on. I had to get up and turn mm. it off. We've had this interesting situation where the heat needs to be on in the living room but there's a fan on in the bedroom but i think that's just at the time of year right now it so. is it's cooler cold at night and then like warm during the day i don't know but i had a fan blowing on me and then all of a sudden the heat was on mm. yeah not not fun not fun not fun at all but yeah so one more week of classes and then we have a spring break and i think every single person i know on campus is ready for it our spring break is this week, which uh, doesn't really change anything for me, except I won't oh, have as many really? clients. Yeah. Like starting tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, wow. So is Rappers, that... both tech and Rappers are this week. Oh. Are you going to yeah. do anything fun? Caitlin, who is my wife's best friend, and Casey, my wife, are watching the Twilight movies, um, ironically. Um, and we are going to that drag comedy show. I think that's it really i mean i still work eight to five so nothing's really going to change for me so mm. <laughs> except i might have a little bit of time to read at work that's really nice i just want to make note i realize the dogs are playing in the background they will settle throughout the episodes so if you guys hear them bouncing around they're saying good morning to each other so they act like they don't see each other during the night when they sleep next to each other so i don't that's fine uh, i'm actually really surprised somehow that we're already in march i don't <laughs> Oh. I feel like I say that at the beginning you of do. every single time. I think every I just, day you text me and you're like, how was it at five o'clock? I do that. I definitely do that. I feel like I have a, I don't know. I'm just always surprised how quickly time goes and how fast the day goes by. And I think it's also because I'm not feeling as accomplished as I need to, or, oh, wow, okay, I've, like, graded this many papers in this amount of time. I don't know. It's just when I'm, like, sitting and working and emailing and stuff, it's just I look up and it's already late. And that's the same yeah. way I feel about March. Like, my niece is turning 11 in a couple of days. Mm. So all of this episode on middle grade March fits right nicely into, into all of that. I know that there are maybe local bookstores or other bookstores or bookstagrammers and bloggers and bookish people that participate in middle grade March, but that was where I first learned about it from, from booktube. Participating in middle grade March doesn't mean that you only have to read middle grade in March, but I think it can be a nice reminder and a nudge to people to read middle grade, particularly if you don't read from this category very often. I tend to read a number of middle grade books each year. I would say not always like one a month, but I, I feel like I'm close to 10 books a year or so. Part of that is because my niece 
and nephew, my older niece and my nephew are in the range of the core audience being eight to 12 years old. So my nephew will be eight and my nieces will be 11. But obviously that doesn't mean that only readers in that age range can read it. It's interesting because I do think a lot of people have gotten more comfortable reading young adult, but just haven't quite embraced middle grade yet. And so hopefully some of the books that we talk about today might sound interesting and you can use middle grade March as an opportunity to pick one of these books up. I was talking to Zach before we started recording and I actually prefer middle grade to young adult. I I don't really read a lot of YA anymore. Obviously I used to when I was a young adult and maybe some after, but I enjoy imagining characters and their experiences like kind of through the lens of my niece and nephew. And so that feels more grounded in a kind of one of the reasons that I really like middle grade is that it remains hopeful in spite of whatever tough things are happening. There's something, there's some kind of light, there's some kind of growth, there's some kind of hope in the end. And while anything you can imagine happening in real life is explored in middle grade, the sort of daily grind of adulthood isn't present there. And there's, I think this is another reason I'm really drawn to it. I just remember that that particular time in my life was magical. I mean, really, really, that was like some of the best memories that I have are from that age range, like before I went into middle school really before I went into middle or high school and and that isn't to say that like there's not heaviness for lots of people who fall into this age range or anything like that but I don't know sometimes the scenarios in adulthood and adult books get to be too much and so I find middle grade a refreshing break it can help me break a slump it helps me feel better I really like the voice of middle grade. I've talked before, this is going to seem like a strange connection, but I've talked before about how I like single parent romances. And part of the reason that I like that is because I like the kids' voices. I like the kids in the book. And once I kind of made a connection between, oh, okay, sometimes, you know, you can read middle grade just from this kid's perspective. Uh, And so no matter what genre it comes in, I'm a really, really big fan of a well-written kid's voice. There's something nostalgic about it, I think. And so middle grade provides the opportunity for an entire book written in those voices. I just want to say too, I think middle grade authors are incredible. And I don't think that they probably get as much recognition as they deserve for these beautiful heartfelt books on some really tough topics. I'm going to talk about ones today that have some pretty tough topics at the center. I know that for myself as an adult, I get bogged down in thoughts and feelings in ways that feel really complicated and middle grade can cut to the heart of a situation from this sort of younger, naive or simple voice even with the questions that kids in this age range will ask, sometimes it clears things up or or you sort of see to the heart of something to you before maybe it felt really murky. And I think that there's something really tender about that. And as someone who struggles at times to get into tender hearted spaces, 
I appreciate that. I appreciate the way that I can get to that in, in a book. And I also think that that's why when you get middle grade with really positive representation of non-binary characters, trans characters, characters with disabilities, characters with different family structure, other diverse voices, there's an opportunity to see the simplicity of identity in this way. That it's not ostracized. It's not politicized. It's just existing. And you can see things from the kid's perspective. I think that, that matters. And I think it's really powerful. And I think middle grade text can be super super powerful for some of these discussions that feel complex and complicated and hard as grownups. Sometimes when I read middle grade books, I think, oh, okay, like it's actually much more simple than it seems. Or what are your thoughts about that aspect of middle grade as kind of uncomplicating things or getting to the heart of something? I'm going to share a little bit more at the end too about my thoughts on middle grade, because for me, it's very up and down, but I think I couldn't have, I'm glad that you started today because I don't think I could have articulated the things that you articulated about middle grade in the way that they can reach people, even adults. And at the end, I talked a little bit about how uh, I do agree. I think middle grade touches these topics better than most YA books. I, I do think there's something special about the way middle grade authors are able to do it. And you're right too, when you say they don't get enough um, attention about that. So yeah, I do think there's, there is something very special about the simplicity that lets things shine through that we as adults often overlook um, in our day-to-day life and forget about. I worked with kids for about five years and I always said that they taught me things like almost every day about living in the present moment. They don't have as many distractions. I agree with everything you said and I think you articulated better than I could have. I also really appreciate the way that emotions are often talked about in middle grade, because I think that sometimes, or I would, I guess I should say, because I don't have kids myself, I think that sometimes I don't fully always understand how big emotions are really difficult sometimes for younger, younger kids. Because, I mean, I have a vocabulary to deal with my emotions. I mean, quite frankly, I don't always deal with them very well either. But for kids, I think sometimes they can, whatever it is that they're feeling can be really scary because they haven't lived long enough to have the language to to talk about, oh, like, this is how I'm feeling or this person hurt my feelings or, you know, they just kind of feel it. And there's something refreshing and honest about that. But there's also something really scary about that, I think at times for the kids themselves. And if we're not paying attention to that, we can miss maybe what's kind of going on in their internal world. And I do think that the book that we read for today's episode, The House That Whispers by Lynn Thompson, did such a nice job of showing a character grappling with their emotions in really interesting ways. And so I think that that's That's also a component of this, you know, thinking about how to learning a lot from reading these books. Part of, I think, what I started to recognize and started to learn is that sometimes these emotional moments are huge. They're not always as easy to deal with as I think, you know, grownups want to make them out to be like, oh, this person hurt your feelings because they didn't invite you to their party. Well, it's like, don't worry about it or we'll go get ice cream instead or whatever. And it's like, okay, but you're not realizing 
all of those like consequences or all of those big, 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 big feelings. Like, I, I don't know. I just think about some of those divisions of being left out, being included, like even within your family, which this book talks about too. Those were some interesting moments that I saw uh, visualized in a way, I guess, or like articulated and gave me a lot to think about. Well, I have a lot of thoughts about this book. Do you want to start by telling everybody what the book is about and then I can start commenting yeah. on? Okay. Uh, yeah. So for this episode, we read The House That Whispers by Lynn Thompson. It came out February 28th. So if after our discussion, this sounds interesting to you, it's out and you can uh, get, grab a copy. This is about a character named Simon, although his family does not know that his name is Simon. He hasn't told them that that's the name he wants to go by and that he's grappling with his identity and pronouns and what he would prefer. And there's some other stuff also going on in the family. His parents are having some difficulties and challenges. And so I guess there is a fall break kind of situation where the kids, he and his two sisters, who normally visit their grandmother at school breaks, are going in kind of this weird, they usually spend the summer with her, I think. And instead, they are there on this kind of fall break that sounds like it's about a week or so. And Simon notices that Nanaline is having some memory issues as well. She keeps kind of forgetting that she told him things. And the house is creepy. And Simon thinks that there are ghosts. Uh, and there's a lot going on for him as a 12-year-old. His older sister's kind of pulling away from him and he's very sad about that. So yeah, there's a lot of emotions that he's dealing with, but that's the that's the kind of premise. And he's going to try to find out if there are ghosts in the house and if they have anything to do with a sister of his grandmother's who kind of vanishes from family photos. Is that a good summary? Yeah, I this book... Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And as a trans guy, I felt like what Simon was experiencing at what, 11, 12, 13 years old um, was almost exactly what I experienced. I think in general right now, the way society is and people who are trans are a lot of the realization and coming to conclusion and acceptance happens within before you even say anything to anybody else. And so, I mean, I know for me, like, I didn't speak a word to anybody until I was absolutely sure. And I had thought about it for years. I mean, like 20 years, too long uh, for me. But so I really appreciated that aspect of this book. And also I wanted to make note, and I don't mind when authors do the opposite of this. So I'll touch on that for just a second. But his name is Simon. And he would, and the, the author would say, like, for example, if it's a sentence, he would be like, or the author would be like, they yelled for me. They used not my name Simon, but I replaced it with Simon. And we never actually find out what, what his dead name is. And I thought that was I thought really that was cool. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But also I do want to say I've seen a lot of backlash from people when books do include dead names. And as a trans person in my experience, I do think it can be done 
and it done well. I just appreciated that this author found a way around it. Um, but I do think that dead names have power um, in a way. I mean, the whole reason most people, tra uh, trans people change their names is not only because of like the gender associated with their dead name, but also as a way to take power back. For example, my name before I changed it to Zach was a male, was still a predominantly male name. But for me, it was about like releasing myself from that name and choosing a different one for myself. Actually, I didn't choose it. My father-in-law chose it, but I chose my middle name. So anyways, I thought that that was really cool. Um, and I thought they did a really good job. The author is non-binary, uh, did a really good job of doing that. I will say for me and my experience reading this book, the beginning was slow. And then I really got into it like the last half of the book. I ended up giving it four stars, which I'm still contemplating that review because typically I don't like to rate middle grade, mostly because I'm not the target audience. I'm more likely to rate a YA because, I mean, I'm 28. So, I mean, I've grown up a lot since I was a young adult, but I feel like it's easier for me to rate a YA book than it is for me to rate a middle grade. But I definitely think that the story is told in a way that adults can soak it up. And I would also encourage you if you're listening and happen to have a young trans person in your life that this would be a really good book for you to read. It was also like so many things in one, like it's a ghost story. It's a missing person story. It's a trans identity story. It's grappling with grief, not only from the possibility of parental divorce, but that his grandmother can no longer remember things that he thinks that she should be able to read and how he kind of steps around that by making her feel more comfortable um, as like an 11, 12, 13 year old, like he's not correcting her and he's just, you know, fixing things behind her. And I don't know, Simon shows a lot of resiliency and a lot of age beyond his years. Uh, so I, yeah, I really enjoyed the book. I just, my only complaint is I felt like the beginning was kind of slow, but. For me, as someone who spent summers with older generations of my extended family, so much of this felt familiar to me. And I think maybe that's why I didn't struggle in the beginning. I mean, I was instantly like, oh my gosh, I love these people. I really appreciated the way that the author showed kind of being fussed over, the boredom, the games, and the photos and the stories. I felt like I was slipping into something that I recognized, but at the same time, was also unfamiliar to me because obviously Simon's experiences are not my experiences. So part of learning about what he's going through was completely new to me. And I think it was artfully rendered and explained and described. And when I say like new to me, I mean like from the inside, like, like having knowledge of these internal kind of thoughts, that is not something that I was familiar with where he has to do that kind of correcting of in his head, which I thought was also really, really, really brilliant. I mentioned before about big emotions, and I really appreciate the way that some of his anger is highlighted and, and the way that we see him try to process the anger that he begins to feel that kind of builds up and builds up. I think what I loved the most or what really got me and tearful because I did cry a tiny bit in the end was how connected I might actually start to get emotional how connected he is to his family and how the love for his family just comes through and all of his decisions and thoughts like you were talking about Zach the way that he kind of comes behind his grandmother and isn't trying to make a big deal of the forgetfulness even though he's really worried about it I was someone as um, a kid that got teased a lot 
by my peers for spending as much time with my family as I have. And my relationship with my family has also had quite a bit of tension throughout like the kind of second half of my life as I disclosed my queerness and I had family members wrestling with this. And it's been kind of a long road, I feel like, to reach the closeness that we have now that mirrors the closeness that I remember and know that I had as like a younger, like a middle grade kid. So I could relate to some of that and the way that Simon ends up kind of pushing his own needs down in order to try to be the okay kid uh, for his family. I could really, really relate to that. And I think that Thompson does such a good job of layering all the things that Simon is dealing with so that you can kind of understand why there might be for him a delay in adding to this kind of pile of things that are going on. You know, perhaps an impending divorce, Nanaline's forgetfulness, his older sister is pulling away, his own identity. Like there's just a lot that he's dealing with. And I appreciated the threading together of those stories. So I was kind of like instantly into it. But I mean, I, I can understand why some readers might say that getting into the story is a little bit slow. And I, I, I think that happens in a, in a lot of stories. I just instantly, though, I was like 20% in and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this kid. I love, I love this family. There's such a, there's such a tenderness, I guess, there that, that I felt was really connected to me. Plus then there's like ghosts and family secrets and little, all these like fun little sibling games. I love the connectedness to his siblings and how close he was to the sisters and all the different ways the author showed that. It might seem like it's kind of a stressful story. And I think that there's a bit of truth in that. There's there's kind of this like tension, you know, really the whole time, but there's also just tenderness and heartwarming wholesomeness that kind of like glides through it. And that's true in some of the other books that I'll talk about too, but I, I was just really struck by his real deep affection and love for his family and how he didn't want to pile onto it. Can we take a moment to recognize that we read a book that we both liked? I think this might be the first time ever. I, know. I think this is the first time that has ever happened. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Oh yes. Well, we, yeah. okay. I, I will say too that like, yeah, we didn't read it at the exact same time, but yeah, I only just finished it. Maybe, maybe our, maybe our buddy reading won't be cursed for too it's, long. It's probably still cursed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was The House That Whispers by Lynn Thompson. So I think now if you're ready, Devin, we'll move into giving you guys some recommendations for middle grade, um, some books that we recommend you check out and may enjoy. The first book that I'm going to share with you guys is actually a series. It's part of a trilogy by B.E. Schwab, who was then publishing books in middle grade by the name of Victoria Schwab. They have now switched to only publishing in the name V.E. Schwab. That series is called the Cassidy Blake series. The first book is called City of Ghosts. And the premise behind it is that Cassidy Blake, our main character, can see ghosts after an accident that happened. Cassidy's parents are ghost hunters and are filming a TV show around the world. Cassidy's dad is more of a historian and her mom loves the drama and excitement of TV. 
And them combined as parents is an added benefit of the series. I loved watching the way that her parents interacted and her dad trying to bring reason to her mom um, and, and just wanted to be there for the history and her mom trying to add all of the like, oh, but like in so many years ago, they say that if you look to the right at a certain time of day, and he's like, no, there was a battle here. It's just great. I loved it. But the best part about these books are the characters and their relationships with each other. As we've talked about with middle grade, that's usually a common theme. I mentioned Cassidy, who is our main character, but her best friend is a ghost named Jacob. They have such a pure and innocent friendship that at times it touches on heavier topics in terms of middle grade novels, which middle grade is really good at doing. In book one, you will meet the other side character named Laura, who will show Cassidy the ways of the in-between. You will learn more about what the in-between is. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but I can say if you like Stranger Things, you'll like this. You will travel around the world with Cassidy, her friends, her dog, her family, and explore haunted places and go up against impossible enemies all while filming a TV show. The series takes you on adventures around the world, and they only get better as they go. Book three was my favorite in the series. I will say book three has much heavier topics, but oh, it's so good. Not only are the characters and the relationships good, but the way they grow and learn from each other is realistic, and I think we as adults can learn from them. Read this series if what I described above sounds like something you would be interested in, and I'll add a little blind date with a book for you guys. There's ghost hunting. There's the aspect of the cheesy ghost hunting TV shows. You get to travel around to different places around the world. And V.E. Schwab actually added um, photos in the backs of the hard copies of the books. I don't know if they're in, I don't think they're in the Kindle version where you can see like the places that were inspired for these books, like the actual, like, so if they're at a specific cemetery and like book one, there are pictures that V.E. Schwab, I believe, took herself for the, to be in the back of the book. And it's really cool. Adds a lot to it. There are pure friendships, it's coming of age, these characters are a pocket full of sunshine, and it's middle grade horror. So I gave every book five stars. I read them all in two days, all three of them, and I really, really loved the series. So that's my first recommendation. Those sound really good. I had I don't think I knew what those books were about. I didn't know that they were about ghost hunting or that there was a reality show it's so ghost good. hunting element to it. That sounds amazing. I'm definitely going to try to read those. You should. They're really good. I'm going to talk about a book that I recommend the most, probably whenever the topic of middle grade comes up, and that is A Touch of Ruckus by Ash Van Otterloo. I read this last year and absolutely fell in love with it. And one of the things that I have realized that is a theme in a lot of the books that I'm talking about today, uh, I think at least in three of the books, is ghosts. I think there's a reason why. I think that because when I was around this age, so when I was like 10 to 12-ish, I was really fascinated. My friends and I were really fascinated with the idea of ghosts and we would hold seances, not real seances, obviously. We would light candles and like talk, try to talk to spirits and we'd go to cemeteries and light candles and just... It was the 80s. I don't know what else to, to say about it, but I think that there's something incredibly poignant about this particular time in life where you're starting to like maybe understand some things. I mean, for me, it is when, you know, people around, like people who I knew had, maybe they had their people in their life were dying. When I was a kid, my dad's job was a, as a minister. And so I went to a lot of funerals 
because he performed funerals. And so I would be kind of hanging out in the funeral director's office while my dad was like doing his job, you know? Uh, And so I think for me, I had a very early fascination with what happens, like what happens when people are no longer alive and growing up in the South, everyone I knew told different kinds of ghost stories. My grandmothers told ghost stories and different kinds of folklore. So, you know, it was just sort of a fascination that I have. And so whenever I see books, particularly from middle grade, and they have some kind of supernatural element, I'm really there for it. Because also sometimes supernatural elements in adult books are a little too scary for me, honestly. I don't think that I have a lot of sensitivities, but for whatever reason, kind of the paranormal in horror and adult grown-up kinds of things can freak me out in ways that it's not enjoyable for me to continue reading, but in middle grade, it works for me. It's a little, you know, pared down. So anyways, all of that is to say that you'll see a common thread in my recommendations and a touch of ruckus is no different. It is about 12 year old Tennessee Lancaster. There's also, I think a lot of these middle grades that I do really enjoy are in this older kind of middle grade age range in 11 or 12. So a lot of these characters are 11 or 12. So this one is about 12-year-old Tennessee Lancaster, who is spending a month with her beloved grandmother, also family connections there. Um, her grandmother is Mimsy, and she lives kind of out in the country. Tenny's family is experiencing some financial trouble, and they've moved from where they used to live into a smaller apartment that doesn't quite fit the whole family until they can get a little bit more on their feet. So as the peacemaker in the family, Tenny agrees to stay with Mimsy because she doesn't really want to rock the boat and upset her mother, um, who has previously struggled with depression. Complicating all of this is a new ability that Tenny has developed. When she touches an object, she can feel the emotions that were associated with that object. She makes a new friend in Fox, who is a non-binary kid who acts as a sounding board for Tenny's worries about her grandmother and her grandmother's new boyfriend, who Tenny does not particularly like because she thinks he's a con artist out for her grandmother's money. Fox has their own secrets and their own abilities uh, as well. And the pair of friends has to find out what's going on deep in the woods in order to resolve these past and present mysteries that uh, kind of come up. There are some supernatural elements here, which I really enjoyed. Obviously, some diverse secondary characters. Fox is cued as as Latinx and uh, Tinny is white. The ending is, I think, satisfying and hopeful maybe a little bit idealistic, but I wanted that. I I also really loved the rural setting and seeing queerness in rural spaces. But what really struck me, and I reread this, what really struck me was the way that mental health is represented, particularly from the point of view of 12-year-old perspective who's dealing with a parent's depression, and it's specifically a mother's depression. The way that you think, if I can do X, Y, Z, then they'll be okay. If I can be the peacemaker and I will make these sacrifices, then she'll be okay. 
I think that the way that Tenny ends up ignoring some of her own things that pop up for her, her own concerns in order to try to keep the peace is something I really identified with as an older sibling. For my own experiences, I was that kid who tried so hard in the midst of my mom's depression cycle to keep things light for my little brother and to keep things kind of moving so that he wasn't as affected and to have those thoughts and actions visible on the page, even as an adult now was really powerful. And in some ways kind of healing for me as an adult, there's some surprising reveals that happen in this story. I just really liked the, the connections, the, the friendship connections uh, and the way that kind of Tinny and Fox lean on each other and also um, the representation of the grandmother and the, that sort of connection between Mimsy and Tinny. Anyways, I gave this five stars and I think that it's a great middle grade if you, you're you looking for something that has some diverse representation, again, particularly this sort of like rural environment, but with some diversity there. I think that that can be a powerful story for people to read. And that was A Touch of Ruckus by Ash Van Otterloo. And I just found out that they have a book coming out sometime. I think this summer, it might be May or June that they have another book coming out. I don't know what it's about, but I will absolutely read it because I loved their writing and thought that this was a fantastic, fantastic story. That sounds like something I would enjoy. And I was thinking as you were talking about it, like trying to put words to like what middle grade does better. And I think I've realized that in YA, adult does it a little bit more than YA, but for some reason, YA does not talk about the relationships with others. It's mostly focused on relationships with peers, and it's so peer-driven. They don't talk about a lot of relationships with family members or growing up or, I don't know, I just feel like YA is so peer-driven, which is good and has a space, but like you talking about, you know, the experience of being raised with a parent who has depression, as did I, and that really does shape who you are. And I wish that like those elements were more in YA and adult books, but, but for some reason, middle grade is the only one that really touches on those things. And I think it's more important than ever that middle grade is doing it because if kids are reading it at the correct age group, it could really help them. And it helps us as adults, you know, in a healing sort of way. But the next book I want to share with you guys is called The Gingerbread Witch by Alexandra Overy. Oh boy, did I love this one. <laughs> I actually read this when I was doing a challenge for BookTube back in October, which I've mentioned in here before that I used to do BookTube. I actually recently started back up in a smaller capacity. Anyway, I read this uh, not knowing what to expect, and I was a little worried that I wouldn't love it. I read it on Kindle and immediately bought a signed copy because I loved it so much. There is a sequel coming out later this year, and I can't wait for it. I recommend you follow the author on Instagram because she does a lot of um, telling about what's coming out next. And I just think that she as an author doesn't get the attention that she deserves. But before I give you a little bit about the story, I want to say that this book is very special in that it allows a young girl to explore her attraction to another girl. Middle grade is getting more and more diverse, but all of the arguments we hear in the media are what about the children? But I want to go on, but I can go on and on about why these kinds of stories are good for children, but not the point here. I just wanted to acknowledge, you know, we have all these things in the media right now about banning books and in particular wanting to ban queer stories, especially middle grade queer stories, people of color, people of different races and genders and ethnicities. And I think middle grade, as we've, I mean, we've shared pretty much all queer stories so far, do a really good job of bridging that gap. But um, unfortunately, parts of the government are trying to come for that. But 
The Gingerbread Witch is a really unique story in that it kind of mixes, like, this is going to sound so weird. It kind of mixes, like, um, what is that fairy tales? I don't know a lot of fairy tales, but what is the fairy tales? Hansel and Gretel. Yes, Hansel and Gretel. It very much is a Hansel and Gretel retelling mixed with sort of, like, Twilight? There's no vampires, but there are werewolves. It's also a story about a young girl. I don't want to give too much away because I think going into this blind is best, which kind of is how I feel about every book, hence the name of our podcast. But it's about a young girl who doesn't know anything about her or where she came from. She is living with this older woman who is trying to raise her. And there's a lot of really cool things about this world and being made of gingerbread. Basically, one day she's hiding and the person who's caring for her, who's like a grandmother sort of figure, gets attacked by a wolf and runs away. I believe that's what happens. Or she just disappears and then the wolves come. I don't know. Either way, the the, the older lady disappears and our young character sets out to find her. And in that, so in this world, the werewolves are like really bad and our main character doesn't want to have anything to do with the werewolves. There's also a lot of um, animals. She has a lot of companion friends, which I'd never read a story. I know middle grade is really good at this but I've never read a story where there's like companion um, animals that can talk and have their own different personalities and they go on this journey with her and that was just so special because I have five dogs and I love them very much and my connection to them is very strong and so I thought it was really cool to see the companion animals but in, in the story they, they they can talk and interact and they all have their own personalities and that was really cool but at the end of the journey you know she's going to meet with these werewolves and build friendships with them and it really bridges the gap between differences I think that's what the author was setting out to do was to talk about how society can say one things about this group of people and other things about another group of people but if we just sit down and spend time together we realize we're not that different. Um, And I think the author did a really good job of doing that. Back over the summer, if you remember, or fall, Barnes & Noble announced that they would no longer be carrying a lot of books that didn't get, didn't reach a certain level of praise or sales, etc. And this book was supposed to be at Barnes & Noble, but they actually decided not to put it up at Barnes & Noble. So I also wanted to encourage you to buy this book to help the author because she really is very special. And I think what she's done with this story is very special. She also has written YA books, which I haven't read yet, but I just think that this book has not gotten the attention that it deserves. And so if you can, I would encourage you to buy this book. I doubt your indie would have it, but if they do, you know, you could also do Amazon. Barnes & Noble Online might have it. Um, Wherever you get your books, I think it would just be really cool if you bought a copy of this book to support her and it's a good story um that is the gingerbread witch by alexandra overy and um there actually is a second one coming out later this year so i'm looking forward to that i do need to read that i actually have that book physically on my shelf i can't remember i think a books a million might have had it uh but i'm not 100 sure but I, th- I think i got it at books a million i am going to talk about a book that i listened to on audio last year and this is ellen o's spirit hunters This is the first in a series of a surprisingly spooky middle grade horror book. I do highly recommend the audio. Again, we are dealing with a 12 year old whose name is Harper and with her parents and siblings, they have moved to Washington, D.C. because of the quote unquote fire incident. This is kind of how it's talked about. Harper can't fully remember the events. So we learn more details about what happened with the fire at her old school, as well as some incidents that occurred as she recovered at a psychiatric hospital, as she remembers them and shares them. 
I would say that because of some of the frightening elements of this, but also um, some of the other details, that this might veer a little bit older middle grades. So like 10, 11, 12, I found some genuinely frightening moments, but I enjoyed learning so much about Korean folklore, spiritualism, and shamanism here. It feels like a natural part of the plot of this house that the family has moved into and maybe is haunted. Things just feel a little bit off. Something's going on with the little brother. It goes to some unexpected places as the plot develops. And I don't want to say too much in that vein, but ultimately, again, there's a lot of heart. There's a lot of friendship. Harper makes friends with, I think her name is Dea, Deo, down the street, and they together are able to figure out some of the things that are happening. And so I think there's a lot about identity and acceptance here, as well as kind of family tensions and strain that happen with at the level of the parents and grandparents. Harper has gone through obviously quite a bit when we start the story. She has all the worries and insecurities of someone who's almost a teenager and her older sister actually is, I think, a teenager. But I still found Harper to be bold and, you know, action oriented. She loves her family deeply. Her friendships are really a major connecting point for her strength. And she's a fighter. And I really loved seeing her character grow over time and grapple with moving from these insecurities to these points of strength. It's really easy to root for Harper and to understand her. I really appreciated all the family dynamics that O includes here. There are some really fun reveals that come together. The villains um, in the story end up being really interesting, you know, have these kind of interesting backstory. I think that... What I liked most about this is the blend. And I think that that's true of all of these middle grades I'm sharing today. There's a blend here of family issues and some horror elements, but overly like wholesome vibes that just kind of works. Again, um, this is another one that I gave five stars to, and I'm interested in continuing in the series whenever the audiobook will come back up at the library. This is Ellen O's Spirit Hunters. That sounds really good. Uh, I really like the sound of that. That reminds me of a I've been exploring Jessie Q. Santanto. I always forget how to say her last name. Um, her books, and she has a middle grade series that sounds kind of similar to that, actually, that I've been wanting to check out. So the next book I'm going to share with you guys is called The Vanquishers by Kaylin Brown, or Baron. Uh, it's a middle grade creature story about a young girl named Bog. Her real name is Malachi, Malachi Wilson, and her neighborhood. It might sound weird to add neighborhood after that sentence, but the sense of community is so strong. Again, a theme in middle grade. In this world, vampires used to walk the streets and are painted to be mean, awful creatures. Until one day, the Vanquishers, a group of heroic vampire hunters, killed all of the last vampires. Now, most people live their lives as normal, except Bog's parents, who stick to the traditions of protection, such as garlic, not inviting people in, not going out at night, etc. We get to know Bog's close friends and their family, which are all diverse in their own ways, gender, race, sexuality, etc. One day, one of Bog's friends goes missing, and people believe it's due to a vampire. Everyone begins to be suspicious and worry that someone they know may be a vampire. I really enjoy The Vanquishers. It's inspired by Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I, if you've seen First Kill, which is a TV show inspired by V.E. Schwab's short story, it's more like the middle grade version of that. It's very strong in the vampire hunting, vampire hunting as a community of people, and, and so is First Kill, which, by the way, if you haven't watched that show, you should watch it. It didn't get renewed for season two, but you should watch it. 
This book carries the common theme that middle grade novels touch so well on, which is about friendship, growing up, coming of age, loving others beyond differences, and disagreeing slash misunderstandings with parents. A large part of this book is about the generational gap between what's changing for our young people and what our parents can't seem to always understand because their generation was different. I would say that is the main theme and point of this story. I wouldn't say it's my favorite on the list, but I did enjoy it and I found it really cute. A blind date with a book sort of set up here would be it's a creature story. It's sort of like First Kill. It's a diverse middle grade. I mean, it's probably the most diverse I have on this list in terms of it touching on not only gender, not only race, sexuality, a different households, like one person in neighborhoods raised by their grandmother, the other one has two dads, and just the way those families interact with each other and that sort of thing is really done well. If you like a story about vampires or a fantasy version of a whodunit. Again, I think this book starts off a little bit slow, but that tends to be how I feel about middle grade in general. So I don't know. It, I do recommend it. I would maybe get it from the library and give it a try. If you recognize the author's name, Kaywin Baron, Baron, um, she writes uh, several YA books that people really like. Um, Cinderella is dead or not dead. I don't know. Cinderella is dead or not dead. I can't remember. The not title. dead, I think. Yeah, not dead. This Poison Heart, which I loved. Um, so yeah, this was her middle grade debut. And overall, I thought it was done really well. And I really enjoyed it. I think you would like it. Yeah. I think I would like it. It sounds really good. I mean, I, I love vampire stories. It is. And, it, and it's done well for a middle grade, I think. Yeah. I thought the cover was really cool. I liked the covers of it. So the cover is, you should guys should look it up. It is very good. The next book that I want to talk about is a recent that just came out. I read it really recently for this episode, and that is Simon Sort of Says by Aaron Bow. I think that you will be hearing a lot about this book in the sort of coming months, perhaps, um, if you haven't already heard a lot about it, depending, I guess, on the book spaces you're in. Simon is a survivor of a very heartbreaking tragedy. And sometime after this, I believe it's two years, his family moves to this area that's known as the National Quiet Zone, where there is no internet, but there are landline phones. It's sort of weird how this is described in terms of like what the National Quiet Zone is. But anyway, there's no internet, uh, but you can still communicate with people through landline. His Mother is a funeral director and his father is a deacon who was previously fired due to an incident with llamas or they might be alpacas. And there's some very funny overtones in the very beginning of trying to figure out exactly what happened and like why his dad might have been fired. I think the family dynamic, like a lot of these stories, is really well developed. And a lot of the novel's focus is about Simon learning to open himself up after this tragedy and learning to make friends after this has happened. Simon is dealing with a lot here. He has clear signs of PTSD. There are described panic attacks and anxiety. So if those are problematic for you as a reader to read about and see described, maybe this is not the best book for your reading. I do think that the author explains these trauma responses very well when they come up. And I think there's a good balance of Simon being able to reinvent himself and the adventures that his friends get into and these heavier themes. 
there's a lot of far-fetched scenarios and hysterical animal antics and a very humorous thread, I guess, like or tone that moves throughout this story, even as it's dealing with incredibly difficult topics. And again, I think this is what middle grade does so well is this balance of hopefulness at the same time having these really intense conversations about things. Um, Sometimes I was laughing and sometimes I was crying. Um, One of the things that is really striking about this book is the structure of it. It's really interesting because as readers, you don't get to understand the full extent of what has actually happened to him throughout the book. It's about halfway through that you realize what it is that he has experienced. I haven't shared it here, but it is in the synopsis, which I normally don't suggest you read, uh, obviously, but because there's such a heavy content warning here, this might be a good one to read the synopsis of, particularly if you're planning to read this with a middle grader in your life, or if you plan to recommend this to your library or teachers in your life, I really recommend using resources that uh, Bo provides at the end of the book. I highly recommend Common Sense Media's website, particularly for content discussions on this book. I think that could be a good source if you want to know more about what's happening. I really struggled to rate this particular middle grade. There are some references and some verging on fat phobia. There's some things I'm not a big fan of how they're described. And there's also these philosophical and theological discussions that seemed quite contradictory and a little bit out of place for the tone of the story. Certainly given what happens to to Simon and to the family as a result, I definitely see how a deacon's faith can be shaken because of what happens. And again, I grew up with a minister as a father. And so I understand that grappling with, but I think so much of this and this particular story took me out of the narrative because we're supposed to see things like more through Simon's eyes. And there was a way that this felt shoved into some of the spaces I also think some of this book feels really chaotic, and I don't know if that was always a good thing. There is a lot going on here in terms of, I mean, I don't know if it's really plot, but in terms of the action, it was like two threads of the story pushing against each other or trying to be woven together, but then like fraying, you know, like an embroidery metaphor here. I do recommend this book, particularly for its topic, but I've already forgotten some of the elements because of the story because there's so much going on and it was only this week that I finished it so I think I will rate it if I end up rating it a three and a half but I I do recommend it and I recommend you check out some kind of content warning or maybe read the synopsis of this one just so that you're not completely caught off guard by what this book is really about I'm impressed that an author tackled something like this And on Common Sense Media's page, I think it's that page, they talk about a couple of book pairings that you could do with this. And there's some other websites and resources that talk about book pairings, um, some nonfiction that you might pair with um, this story. So ultimately, I think it does a really good job of what it's trying to accomplish, which is this balance of hopefulness and humor with uh, a story of someone who is trying to reinvent themselves and learn how to trust people 
and, you know, come out of a very heartbreaking tragedy. And there's just a lot going on. And if you're someone who likes that, I think you would really like this book. And there's zany, zany animals in it. So that is Simon Sort of Says by Aaron Bow, And it's published by Disney Hyperion and just came out maybe at the end of January. Yeah, I did read the synopsis because I was curious what you were talking about. And I think a lot of people will be quick to say young children should be reading this, but I would encourage them to rethink that thought because of the reality that we live in in the U.S. But yeah. You probably want people to know what they're getting going into it, but I think people should do the research for themselves. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So the last thing I'm going to talk about today, I didn't do a looking forward. Devin has two middle grade looking forwards. Um, I didn't have any middle grade that I wanted to share as a looking forward. I'm going to talk a little bit about that here in a second. And we wanted to keep this episode strictly about middle grade. So after I give you guys this little spiel, I'll let Devin finish us out with her looking forward and telling you what we have next. So I wanted to touch on my overall thoughts on middle grade. I used to not read any middle grade at all. And then I read Amari the Night Brothers. I was very wowed by Amari and her story. It touched on themes I didn't expect in a middle grade because it's been a long time since I've read that age group, which as expected, um, it is wise beyond its years. Middle grade addresses themes that sometimes YA and adult books don't do well. For example, topics such as diversity, divorce, friendship, family, those are only the, like, those are the major things that I think I found in middle grade, but it's not a like an exhaustive list there. We've talked today about more than just that. That being said, I'm not the target audience and therefore I don't always want to pick up a middle grade. I have to be in a very specific mood. I would say in a year, I read about five to 6% middle grade, which for me, that maths out to about four or five books. My good friend Katie is a very good middle grade influence and is always gifting me middle grade books. So I have a ton to try out and I can't wait for that mood to strike. Every time we go to Barnes and Noble together, we always visit the middle grade section for her, but I always end up finding something that I'm like, this does sound interesting. Funny enough, she got me one I was really excited to read when I was recovering from top surgery, but because of the surgery was so long, it was five, five and a half hours. Um, the anesthesia really messed with my brain and I wasn't able to read for a few days. That being said, I want to make my four to five books this year count. So I'll take any recommendations. Um, I didn't bring Amari to the show today as a recommendation just because it's spoken about a lot, but I did want to know I did love it and we'll read the second one whenever the mood strikes. But yeah, I think for me, I Devin and I were talking before the show. I worked with kids for about five years and I think right now I'm just a little burned out on that age group because of my work as a counselor and working with kids. I no longer work with kids. I work at a major university now. Um, and I loved my time with kids. They taught me so much about life and happiness. And, um, but I think right now I'm taking like a small break from middle grade. So I'll let Devin tell you about the middle grade that she's looking forward to. And I can't wait until our next episode. Yeah. So there are two books that are, uh, both coming out in April. Uh, the first one is Angie Thomas's middle grade debut. So Angie Thomas wrote The Hate You Give, which I really thought was incredibly powerful and also liked Concrete Rose. She's writing a middle grade book called Nick Blake and the Remarkables, The Manifestor Prophecy. It's out April 4th by Balzer and Bray. And all I know is that's a middle grade fantasy based in African folklore. It's going to be a trilogy and Andrew Thomas wrote it. And that's all I need to know about that one. Uh, and that 
is Nick Blake and the Remarkables. And the first book is called The Manifestor Prophecy out April 4th. And the second one I'm looking forward to comes out April 18th, published by Scholastic. And that is Jude Saves the World by Ronnie Riley. This sounds really friendship focused. Jude is struggling at school uh, focusing, and they are also struggling with the fact that they have not come out as non-binary to their old-fashioned grandparents. Their best friend Dallas helps by just being around, and then one of the more popular girls at school is rejected by her friend group, and this is rumored to be because she has a crush on another girl at school. Jude and Dallas decide to reach out to this girl, Stevie, to see if she is okay. And their gesture in doing so starts to form a bond of friendship. And the three wonder if they can make an even bigger difference in their school and in their community through starting um, like a safe space diversity club. And this just sounds like it's really heartwarming with really positive representation. And again, I really love to see friendship stories, particularly for middle grade. They are all, I think, around 12. And so I don't know. I think that this sounds really good. And that's Jude Saves the World by Ronnie Riley. And the cover has them kind of on a little kid playground kind of look. So I really think that the cover is representative of this sort of in between time uh, in, in, in the world of um, middle graders. I'm looking forward to both of those coming out in April. If I put them on this list, I'll be more likely to get around to reading them. And I'll be really interested in the Andy Thomas middle grade fantasy because, as y'all know, I don't read a lot of fantasy, so maybe middle grade fantasy will be where it's at because it'll be written at the level of someone who is, you know, 10. <laughs> so maybe I can get on board with the world building for that age group because I struggle with other ones. We will list all of the books in the show notes and all the ways that you can follow us individually. Obviously, we like having these conversations. We love talking about books. So feel free to seek out these ways to find and follow us, leave comments for us, leave recommendations of things you'd like to see us read. We'll be back in your ears very soon. Until then, what you read is up to you, but take our advice. Don't read the synopsis. Kids need access to these books. Like you, you need access to them. And it completely sucks that people are trying to take that away. Yep, I agree. <laughs> <laughs>